present with us in beautiful ways. We pray that you would be an encouraging spirit today, providing us with insight and perspective that perhaps you've lost. Remind us, as Deb has said, that you call us sons and daughters, and you have love for us and gifts for us and hopes for us that we don't even know yet. So accept our thanks, our praise as we wait and long for more of you. Can we pray the Lord's Prayer together, please? And if you don't know the words, the words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praising and praying. I'm wondering if you could open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 18. We'll continue our journey through the book of Acts. And I'd like to focus on the idea of encouragement today. And I wonder, the last few weeks I feel like I've been just talking at you so much. I'd like to wonder if we could have a little conversation with each other and then maybe back at me. So I'd like to, like to start with a question. If you'd be willing, in just a moment, uh, could you, I, I could tell you a story. And then I'd like to ask if you'd be willing, if, you, if you're comfortable, talking with someone around you, one or two people. So this is my question. Could you consider a time when you felt discouragement? And then my question below it is, how did the Lord offer you encouragement? So could you think about a time when you felt discouraged or despairing? And then how in that particular season did the Lord minister to you, provide encouragement? So can, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But if you'd like to, this is your chance to shine, extroverts. Let me tell you a story about encouragement. I got to get a little energy going in this room here. Here we go. So we, in a few minutes, I'm going to share some personal things, what I observed from the book of Acts to this point. At the end of the second missionary journey, which concludes today, and I'm going to offer some encouragement about how we can live our lives well. So I'm talking about encouragement. So one of the words I'm going to give you just a minute is hold your, your plans loosely. And we'll see that in the book of Acts. So this week, about a week ago, we got a, a, a call from our children in Salt Lake City if we would babysit their three children for a few days. And we said, sure, it'd be great. Six days with our grandkids. What we didn't realize is that two of them would break their legs. And so they have full body casts. I mean, so here, here's the encouragement. So we were doing some things, and the six-year-old was on this arm, and the two-year-old this arm, and... <laughs> I'm trying to carry him someplace. And the oldest one goes, Grandpa, you're so strong. And the little one goes, yeah. <laughs> so how about encouragement? What has been a time when it's been despair difficult? And how about some encouragement? On your marks, get set, give it a shot. Would you talk, please, with each other? All right. Thank you. Can I have the page number for Acts 18, please, Dave? Here's the page number. I'd like you to get ready. Then I'm going to go to the map a second, and then let's, let's look at encouragement. What I want to get at is it comes at so many surprising ways. So here's the page number, and let's go to the map. Would you please, Dave? So this is the second missionary journey, which we have been involved with now for some weeks. 
So way back in the day, it started in Jerusalem, it went up to Syria, so now we've gone through all these places, and last week we were in Athens, and this week we go to Corinth, and then he's going to go to Ephesus, to Sindus, to Caesarea, to Jerusalem, and back up to Antioch. So this trip is about 1,500 miles. Most of it was on foot, and it took multiple years. So what I'd like to focus on is surprising ways encouragement comes to him, to them, and then to us. So let's start Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and I'm going to make some comments as we go through. I'd like to focus really on encouraging this morning. Chapter 18, verse 1. Please hear the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And Dave, can you just leave the, the map up there? So whatever I say is city, just keep looking up there so you can see what we're talking about. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, this is the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. There's a sense of persecution toward the Jews. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he'd come from Athens. He's now in Corinth. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came... There was some encouragement. From Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. There was some encouragement. Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm, heads, I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So can I just give you a, what that's about? He is quoting Ezekiel. So when the prophets in the Old Testament would go to a place and people rejected the word of the Lord, what the prophet would do was he would wipe the dust off his feet and he would say, my hands are clean. Your future is in your hands. If you die, if you die without any hope, without any salvation, I am innocent. I'm clean. So that's what he's alluding to right there. Then it says in verse 7, he left the synagogue and went next door. Why? Because they rejected him. To the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his tire and household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Now, isn't that a good thing? Well, let's go back to the map. What happened in Derby? What happened in Lystra? What happened in Iconium? What happened in Philippi? What happened in Thessalonica? What happened? Every single time the gospel was shared, what happened? People accepted Christ, and then what happened? He got beaten. He was beat to crap. Flag, remember? Entrails falling out, beaten with sticks, mob violence. So here he is. He's sharing the gospel, and many believed. Verse 8. And Paul is afraid. How do I say that? Look at the next verse. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Now can you look up and read something to you? Just a little bit. This comes from a scholar named Cole. He said, in many respects, the city of Corinth was the sin capital of the world. It was built on an isthmus. And so ships could come from both directions and also, there was an overland trade route. It became one of the most powerful cities in all of Rome. 250,000 people lived there. 25,000 in Athens, 250,000 in Corinth. The city was powerful in economics, 
and it was powerful in sin. It was a crossroads from every direction. Ships came from around the world. All these people came. They, rather than to go 200 miles around, they went through Corinth. And now imagine, try to imagine what the city must have looked like when all the sailors, all the cargo, legal and illegal, got off at one place. To add to this environment, Corinth was the most famous for its temple to the goddess Aphrodite. So let me describe to you what happened in the temple. In the temple, imagine now third church. We all come to church, and all through this building, especially on the stage, there are prostitutes, male and female prostitutes. And as part of worship, you are expected to give incense, and you are expected here to have sex in public in the temple to Aphrodite. So Paul was overwhelmed with the negative reception of Athens, but he was sick and afraid by all of this. Now can you, I want you just to imagine, what would Pella be like? We just had tulip time. What would it be like if we were known as Corinth was? There was a phrase, to Corinthicize was to be a city where sin, sexual sin was rampant. And they called the young women, basically there was a phrase in the Greek, they called them W-H-O-R-E-S. The Roman emperors, who were absolutely debauched, were so appalled by the sexual sin in Corinth, they said the sewage from Corinth runs through the whole empire. So isn't it interesting, Paul's response is he is terrified by the level of sin. Now, I don't want to talk about demons very much this week. Next week, I will. He's dealing with two territorial spirits. One is Poseidon. Poseidon is the god of the sea, and you see the powerful sea expressed in economic and political power. And the goddess Aphrodite, a god of sexual sin. These spirits ruled, and the darkness was so great. Now, get this. Paul is terrified. So I want you to think that one through. How dark must the city be for a guy who's been beaten with rods three times, who has been flogged two times, who's probably by this point experienced at least one shipwreck, is terrified. So look what happens in verse 9. Another in verse of encouragement. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, do, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word of God. So from A.D. 50 to A.D. 52, he was there. Well, Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia. Now here's the next piece of encouragement. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. This is a political attack. And brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. He's trying to go, they're going after emperor worship. Just as Paul was about to speak in defense, Galileo said to them, if you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it will be reasonable for me to listen to you. 
But since it involves questions about words and names and your own laws, settle the matters yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Now, why is that an encouragement? Well, let me read to you because I can't. Don't, I'm not very good with Latin. At this time in the Roman world, there were two allowed religions. There was the worship of the emperor, and they allowed the Jewish religion because of the strong commitment the Jews made to their faith and the Romans could not overcome them, the Jews, there were two religions in the empire. So what the Jewish opponents did is they wanted to get the Christian faith away, called illegal. Let me explain this to you. So, my notes, I can't find, here they are. Get my, get my Latin, I'm not good with Latin. So here we go. What the Jewish faith experienced was something called religio Lictia, which meant the religion was legal. And so what they wanted to do was have the proconsul, look at the proconsul, he's in charge of everything from below Sancria all the way up to Berea. He's in charge of that whole area. They want him, he's bigger than Achaia. This is, this is a big deal. This is, this is a big, 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 powerful guy. They want him to say the Christian faith is illegal. And what did he do? He said, no way, it's a part of Judaism. He beat the, the ruler of the Jewish people and said, let it go. Now, why is that a big deal? 